Our scripture today is um, often called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is in uh, Matthew. And then here, the scripture that Ken just read you from Luke is uh, the Sermon on the Plain. A lot of similarities, some differences, blessings and woes in this one, followed by the Golden Rule. Uh, this week I was driving past the Presbyterian Church and on their marquee it said, Tweet unto others as you would have them tweet unto you. And I thought that's a pretty good rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus starts out with these blessings. Blessing, blessed are you who are poor, hungry, grieving, persecuted. Good, right? Those folks need to be blessed. But woe to you, he says, woe to you who are rich, well-fed, laughing, respected. Now, is there anyone here besides me that that really makes nervous? Because I'm all these things, rich, maybe not American 2%, upper 2% rich, but compared to many parts of the world. Yes, rich, well-fed, certainly, laughing, respected. Thanks, bud, for setting me up. <laughs> Does this make anybody nervous? It makes me nervous. We, um, Brenda and I, are leaving this week for a vacation. And I don't know if it's a well-deserved, but it's a well-needed vacation. I don't think I've been anywhere north of Waco since... Uh, everything happened and uh, we're going on a cruise and I plan on being well fed okay <laughs> I plan on eating some really good food somebody said what are you planning to do on your cruise I said we're planning on getting fat <laughs> and it's going to be awesome <sighs> this scripture makes me nervous <laughs> on, in all sorts of ways right See if I can find that. Here we go. The blessings, the woes. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Someone slaps you on the cheek. Turn the other. Also, give to anyone who asks. Don't demand anything back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's pretty tough. Right. In preparation for this sermon, uh, I went hungry this week. Well, for short periods. Okay. I fasted some. I dieted some. I skipped some meals. It was awful. I hated it. Okay. I didn't like it. It wasn't fun. I was hungry. And I didn't feel blessed. Right. And I can't even imagine. Well, my hunger was by choice. I can't even imagine what it would really be like to be hungry and there's no choice to it, to be immersed in poverty, to truly not know where or if your next meal might be, to die of hunger as people do every day in this world. It's hard to even begin to imagine it. Blessed are you, says Jesus, who are hungry, poor, grieving, Persecuted. What on earth is Jesus trying to teach us here? 
Does he want us to be those things? Is poverty good inherently in some sort of way? I don't think so. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He heals the sick. He talks about life and life abundant, which I think is God's will for us, for our lives to be filled with life and abundance. So what is it then? What is so great about being poor or hungry or grieving? Nothing. Nothing. However, when we sometimes find ourselves going through those experiences, those experiences can teach us some important things, such as gratitude. The hungry are thankful. I quoted William Willimon the other Sunday, and uh, I figured out I misquoted him, so I'm just going to read it to you. William Willimon, when I began teaching worship in a seminary, I asked a Roman Catholic liturgical scholar at another seminary to give me advice on how to excite Protestant seminarians about the rich possibilities for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You should begin by teaching cooking classes, he advised. I was astonished. But what did that have to do with the Lord's Supper? Because, he explained, they will never lead the Eucharist with conviction until they first learn the joy of giving good food to hungry people. The joy of giving good food to hungry people. Jesus would know. Jesus knew the pain of hunger and the healing possibilities in a good meal. Therefore, Jesus not only preached, taught, and healed, he also fed, saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Blessed are you who are hungry, he said. In our hunger, we learn gratitude. My parents were kind of classic Depression era uh, generation. They were children and teenagers during the Great Depression. And uh, my dad's family, they, they did okay. Uh, my mother's family did not. They were uh, sharecroppers always uh, this close to getting on a box car and going to California. I remember my mother said one year they planted a lot of black-eyed peas and they dried them and uh, saved them and she said that winter I don't know what we would have done without those black-eyed peas. And so my parents growing up, I watched them, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer kid, I'm eating Captain Crunch, but I'm watching them and just black-eyed peas with some ham some cornbread and maybe a slice of a really fresh tomato and they were good they were happy they were grateful on Sunday maybe a slice of pecan pie they were happy to have black eyed peas which in other parts of the country are considered cattle feed and they were happy to have it they were grateful because they knew what it was to be hungry my dad, when I was a kid, sometimes, not often, but sometimes after supper for dessert, he would get a glass of buttermilk and crunch up saltine crackers in it, which I thought was gross, okay? I, I finally sort of figured that out, okay? Back in the Depression, if you had buttermilk, you were doing okay. 
you had some buttermilk, you were probably going to be all right. For him, it was some sort of symbolic power to this that made him feel like he was okay and God was taking care of him. Then he discovered bluebell ice cream, and that was it. <laughs> this last week, one day for lunch, all I, all I ate was an apple, okay? That was it, just this apple. I cut up that apple, and I don't know how many times, countless times, I'm walking through HEB, there's all these apples, I don't think anything about it, but I've got this apple, and it's so sweet, and it's so tangy, all at the same time, and I'm just thinking, thank you, God, for this apple. Thank you for the farmers that know how to grow these things. Thank you for the rain and the sunshine. Thank you for the amazing logistical uh, creation that these were on a tree somewhere 2,000 miles away, and now it's sitting on my table as fresh as it could be. That's a minor miracle in the history of the world. Thank you, God, for this apple, a hunger creates gratitude and thanksgiving. It helps us to replace our lives of anxiety with lives of gratitude. Hunger and poverty teaches us humility. We are dependent, not independent. We have to accept charity. And it's humiliating. It's hard. And yet you realize you need other people and we're all in this together. Hunger teaches us empathy. You see the heart and the lives of others that maybe you normally wouldn't see there, but by the grace of God, go, I, I know what it's like, what they're going through. And we all live by the grace of God. Hunger teaches us to be faithful or to trust. Jesus says, blessed are you because you will be taken care of. It's not that you're just blessed now, but it's Jesus' way of saying, you not forgotten. You will be taken care of. You have future and blessing, even though right now it seems inconceivable, even though right now it seems like you're in a, a box canyon with no options. There is still future. There is still happiness and love and laughter and food to be had. The danger of being well-fed is that sometimes it leads us to think that we don't need anybody. Maybe we don't even need God. Maybe our things will take care of us. I, I was just fascinated by the reaction to uh, Michael and Melinda Gates' divorce. People were stunned. Wait a minute. Don't they have all that money? They're not happy? How's that possible? How is it that poor people can be happy and rich people can be unhappy? I read an article in the paper back at the beginning of the week, and it was about the, uh, the migrant thing going on down in Del Rio. And it was about the faith community in Del Rio and how over a hundred churches and faith-based organizations came together and they handed out 10,000 sandwiches to those migrants under the bridge. 
Now, I've, I've lived in West Texas. I know why they're un, under that bridge. I've been to Del Rio many times. It's the desert, and there's no shade. And to be out in the sun, it saps you of strength. It dehydrates you. It makes you sick, weak. It can even kill you. And they're all huddled under that bridge. And here comes the church with 10,000 sandwiches. Here comes the church down to the river with a bunch of sandwiches and water. Here comes the church that gathers once a week and remembers hunger and poverty. Here comes the church that comes together once a week and remembers our Lord and Savior was hungry and poverty-stricken and mistreated by the world. Here comes the church that gathers once a week to practice being grateful for even the small things, that practices remembering our dependence upon God for all things, our practice of remembering that there but for the grace of God go any of us, our remembering that broken bread, the cross, the nails, the gospel, the good news, our salvation even when we totally are wrong. And they got pushed back. And people that criticized them. People who said, oh, you're just making it worse. And so they were interviewing the guy in charge. And they were repeating all this pushback, all this criticism, the church, getting criticized for giving someone a sandwich. And you know what he said to the reporter? said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Scandalous. Scandalous. Counterintuitive. Generosity. The guy named F.R. Maltby. He said that Jesus promised to those who follow him three things. That if you follow Jesus, you will learn to be completely fearless. You will learn to be absurdly happy. And you'll always be in trouble. 